Hare Krishna. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Radhakala Chandi Srimad Bhagavatam class. And uh, we do have a guest here all the way from the Czech Republic. What's your name, Prabhu? Ivosh. So Bhakti Ivosh is here. Welcome. So nice to have you here. Hare Krishna. So today we've got an exciting, um, we're beginning from the 12th canon. We've got an exciting class here. And um, this particular volume of the Srimad Bhagavatam is entitled The Deterioration of the Age. So we're going to hear a little bit now about the future, futuristic predictions in our scripture. And um, this particular chapter um, is entitled The Degraded Dynasties of Kali Yuga. So we're going to hear about how our leadership has um, deteriorated since the time Krishna was present. And um, I'm going to begin just by reading, <clears throat> after we finish Jairata Madhava, the summary. And um, there is a Parivasa Sutra, if I'm correct. Chapter 10. Oh, thank you for correcting me here. Chapter 10 is Lord Shiva and Uma glorify Markandeya Rishi. Ah, so that's where we're beginning. Okay. Excellent. No
Jai Radha Madhava Jai Jabi Thank you. Okay. So please repeat. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So reading from the 12th canto, uh, chapter 10, beginning here with text number 1 is on the board. And I'll read here just quickly the <coughs> summary. In this chapter, Sri Sutta Goswami describes how Markandeya Rishi received benedictions from Lord Shiva. Devotees are not supposed to be worshipping demigods. Oh, wait a minute. Let's keep reading. Once, as Lord Shiva was traveling in the sky with his wife, Parvati, he came across Sri Markandeya merged in meditative trance. At the request of poverty, Lord Shiva presented himself before the sage to grant him the result of his austerities. Coming out of his trance, Sri Markandeya saw Lord Shiva, the spiritual master of the three worlds. How do you say that in Sanskrit? Mm-hmm. Jagat Guru, right? Isn't that what we say? Jagat Guru? Mm-hmm. says here, um, so Lord Shiva, spiritual master of the three worlds, together with poverty, appeared before Markandeya Risha. He came out of his trance and he worshipped them by offering them obeisances, words of greeting, and a sitting place. Then Lord Shiva praised the saintly devotees of the personality of Godhead and requested Sri Markandeya to choose whatever benediction he desired. It's like the genie out of the bottle. What would your three benedictions be? Arjun Prabhu?
Our Jim Peru said he just needs one. He doesn't need three. Just to serve the lotus feet of his spiritual master. I thought he was going to say he wants the Cubs to win the World Series again. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. You guys, <laughs> I better keep this serious. I could be, uh, what do they call it? I could be vilified for this. <laughs> okay, everybody, I'll get serious here. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to lighten you up this morning. Before you face the onslaughts of material life. <laughs> then Lord Shiva praised the saintly devotees of the personality of Godhead. And Markandeya then begged for unflinching devo- devotional service to the Supreme Lord Hari to the devotees of the Supreme Lord, and to Lord Shiva himself. I know Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, he used to always use this term of Naratam Das Thakur's Hari Guru Vaishnava. Hari Guru Vaishnava. Successes in the worship of Hari Guru Vaishnava. So here he is also doing that. Sri is satisfied with Markandeya's devotion. Lord Shiva awarded him the boons of renowned freedom from old age and death. Now imagine that. We can give you that benediction. Until the time of universal dissolution, knowledge of all three phases of time. What do you call that? Trikalagya. You can see past, present, and future. Right? He blessed him with renunciation, realized knowledge, and the position of a teacher of the Puranas. Just imagine that every day, all day long, you're just explaining the Bhagavatam and the different Puranas. <clears throat> it's available. Okay, text number one. Please repeat. Sutu Vacha. Saeva manubu yenda maha Narayana vinirmitam Vaibhavam yoga mayas yas Tomheva sharanam yayo Sutuvacha Saeva manubu Vaipavam Oh Narayana near Narayana Vinir Mitam Vaibavam Yoga Maya Yas Tamiva Sharanam Yayo Situvacha Saeva Manubu Yehidam Narayana Nimirnitam Vaibavam Yoga Maya Yas Tamevam Sharanam Yayo Situvacha 
Thank you. The Czechs, they use the English script or a different script? Basically. Nice to say, say so nicely. Okay, word for word, Sutu Vacha. Sutu Goswami said. Hey, do you guys know any of these words? Sanskrit words? Do you know any of these words in this verse? Yoga mayas. So what's that mean? Here's what the translation is by uh, Maharaj. He says here, of his internal mystic energy, yoga maya. Mayayas means of yoga maya. Thank you. You have to go to work? You're going to work? Oh, we have breakfast. But 30 more minutes. You have to leave now? Okay. All right, have a nice day. Thank you, Hare Krishna. Yeah, so yoga maya, yes, like yoga maya, and then yes indicates that this the internal energy or the mystical energy of the Lord is being invoked. Sutta Vacha, of course, Sutta Goswami said, he refers to Markandeya, Rishi, Evam, in this way. Here's a word you might know, Anubuya. Anubuya means experiencing. And then, idam means this. Here's one. Narayan Vinirmitam. What's that mean? So Narayan we know, right? Personality of Godhead, Lord Vishnu. And uh, Vinirmitam means that something is manufactured. So it means something manufactured by the personality of Godhead. Um, <clears throat> how about Vaibhavam? Vaibhavam. Vaibhavam here is translated as the opulent exhibition. Okay, we've already said Yoga Maya, yes. Twam to him, Eva, indeed. Sharnanam. It says for shelter. Shelter, right? You're thinking of, what's that one? Sarnagrati or something? The act of, it's very similar to this. Sarnagrati, right? Surrender, shelter. And Yayo, he went. Okay, here's the translation. Sutta Goswami said, the Supreme Lord Narayan had arranged this opulent display of his bewildering potency, Markandeya Rishi, having experienced it, took shelter of the Lord. So there's no purport, but just a, a quick thought on this is that, you know, the material energy being one of the energies of the Lord is actually under the guidance of the Lord. And it's meant to bring us back to the Lord. So... um well, let's read on here and then we'll talk because there's a there's a, a purport coming up here. 
I'm going to read the English of the verses here. So Sri Markandeya said, O Lord Hari, I take shelter of the soles of your lotus feet, which bestow fearlessness upon all who surrender to them. Even the great demigods are bewildered by your illusory energy, which appears to them in the guise of knowledge. Interesting. Bewildered by knowledge. Well, but he says in the guise of knowledge, so it's not real knowledge. What is real knowledge? Knowledge of the absolute truth probably kind of like uh, simplifies that into to be able to distinguish between matter and spirit. That's actual knowledge. Prophet refers to engineering many times and uh, our normal university educations that we consider to be knowledge. Prophet said, no, that is an art. That is not knowledge. In Sanskrit, it's called shilpa or shilpi. So Prabhupada said just to do make an artistic arrangement for material life does not indicate that one is has knowledge. Here in the purport, it's described that the conditioned souls are attracted to material sense gratification. And thus, they meticulously study the workings of nature. Although they appear to be advancing in scientific knowledge, they become increasingly entangled in their false identification with the material body and therefore increasingly merge into ignorance. Bhaktivinoda Thakur speaks elaborately about this in his... Um, what is it that... Uh, Chaitanya Shikshamrita? But I was thinking about the Krishna Samhita. Is that the name of that book? It's a summary of the Bhagavatam. Bhaktivinoda Thakur felt he was going to die before he could finish translating the Bhagavatam, so he wrote a summary of it. I think it's called the Krishna Samhita. But he speaks about this point that actually material education, it places, it brings one more deeply into ignorance. Because we're impelled to think that we're a product of the material energy or that the purpose of life is to enjoy our senses. I mean, just in a kind of in a nutshell, just to simplify it, you know, when we talk about our identity, so the materialist is describing their identity as the material body and mind. The devotee is saying that they're the spirit's soul, eternal servant of Krishna. So on that basis, the devotee will think, well, if I am the part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and my eternal identity is as the servant of Krishna, the loving servant of Krishna, then devotional service becomes the natural means. It becomes the natural inclination, the natural purpose of life. Now, on the other hand, if we think that we're this material body and the goal of life is to gratify the senses, then material sense gratification, sex life, exploitation of the material resources, all of that becomes the, you know, means for achieving, um, you know, that goal. So that's why we're constantly reiterating that we're not this body, we're spirit, soul, but even more than that, that we're the eternal servants of Krishna. 
Um, here in the next verse, it says, Sukadev Goswami said, Lord Rudra, traveling in the sky on his bull, and accompanied by his consort, Rudrani, as well as his personal associates, observed Markandeya in trance. So we can understand the demigods and the Lord himself, they're observing us. Gadatsuma, seeing the sage, addressed Lord Girisha, My Lord, just see this learned Brahmana, his body, mind, and senses motionless in trance. Have you ever seen someone in trance? Sometimes you see in kirtan, you know, devotees are like, uh, they are um, chanting and uh, dancing, but they're connecting to the Lord through the via media of their heart. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he describes how there is outer space that we're observing, you know, the planets and, uh, you know, moon, stars, uh, you know, the, the clouds, the sky. But there's also inner space. And inner space is is connects us to the spiritual world through the via media of the purified heart. So when the heart's pure, when the when we're no longer distracted by the dictations of our senses and our mind and sense objects, we're able to remove ourselves from those dictations. Not that we become mindless or senseless, but we gain control over the mind and senses. In other words, we can turn our consciousness internally without being distracted by the mind and senses, or we can externalize our, our, our consciousness and utilize the material senses in Krishna's service. The example is given of a tortoise that can withdraw its limbs within its shell or manifest the limbs at its will. So that state of consciousness is called samadhi, where a person can actually, through the via media of their... Um, heart, their internal consciousness, they can enter into the spiritual world. So our scriptures are written in a philosophical, systematic way, um, kind of like undergraduate, graduate, and postgraduate level, where they're divided basically into three parts, Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayochana. Bhagavad Gita is a summary study on the Sambandha level, which basically means that we we can learn to understand our spiritual identity, the identity of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and our relationship or duty to the Supreme. Abhideya means when we um, take up the practice of devotional service, and actually that begins from the point of liberation. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like, for example, you know, if we talk about the people in the spiritual world, like let's say if we look at the paintings here in the temple room, so we have Krishna dancing with the gopis, we have the residents of Vrindavan under Govardhan Hill, we have um, Mother Yashoda tying up Krishna and Balaram's kind of hiding and laughing, um, we have Krishna herding the cows with his friends at the on the banks of the Jamuna. So now if we talk about people that are in the spiritual world, um, we are, are talking about people that are already liberated. Generally, when we you know, describe religion or spiritual life or yoga or whatever, we are describing a process um, for attaining liberation um, or uh, 
you know, we're, we're describing uh, salvation, right? We have in the Hindu tradition, mukti. We have in the Christian tradition, salvation, right? Jesus saves. Now, um, certainly, if, you know, even hypothetically accept that there is a spiritual world and people reside there, certainly they're already saved, right? There's no reason for them to pray or desire to become saved. They've already attained that level of life, right? So let's for a minute change the definition or, or, or the term. Let's change our terminology from salvation and liberation to saving our neckism. So Lord Chaitanya, he's pointed out that when we practice spiritual life or practice our, our religions um, with the purpose of acquiring or attaining liberation, we are still under the influence of, of the material energy on account of being directed or being um, <clears throat> driven by selfish desire. So, um, now, so Lord Chaitanya, he prays whether I'm liberated or not, whether I take birth or not, whether, you know, I acquire anything within this material world or not. You are still my worshipful Lord, birth after birth. So that is a state of consciousness where a person is free from any type of selfish or calculated um, expectation. And that's what attracts the Supreme Personality of Godhead. No matter who you may be, whether you're, um, you know, uh, the Prime Minister of India, uh, your, or, or your, um, you know, a pujari here in the temple, um, or you're a Christian, or a Muslim, or a Buddhist, or whoever we may be, when we enter into that state of our original, pure, selfless consciousness or nature, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is naturally attracted to us. And... <clears throat> Everyone becomes attracted by us. And we feel inspired. In, and, and that's, in other words, that's when we talk about relationships working, that's when relationships work. You know, just simply speaking, you know, if I, if I want you, if, I, if I'm trying to um, manipulate you or demand from you or expect from you that you do something for me, you might just end up hating me. Or maybe just, you know, walk away when you see me or something like that, right? Don't answer the phone when I call you, uh, you know, et cetera, so on and so forth. But if you feel that, wow, you know, Nartam, he's always trained, he's always interested in my well-being, he's always doing things for me, he always wants to give me things, right? So, like, who's going to stop you from serving them? Unless, I mean, you know, you're just forcing yourself on somebody and, you know, you're just in their way. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the kind of service that's pleasing and that is um, is uh, with love and that is not, um, you know, where you put yourself at someone's disposal, right? They can count on you, you see? Then, so... Pretty much just to sum that this whole point up, like 
everybody is happy and accepts us when we love and serve them. And everybody becomes bent out of shape and uh, disturbed when we demand things from them, when we expect them to serve us. So, <laughs> so that's true with Krishna as well, guys. That's true with the personality of Godhead. <laughs> it's true with everybody. So, <clears throat> you know, when we talk about the resonance of the spiritual world already being saved, right? There's no necessity for them to desire to become saved. So salvation or liberation as a desire is not a spiritual desire. It's a material desire. It's still covered by, you know, petty selfishness and, you know, uh, 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 expecting the personality of Godhead to be, you know, our order supplier and, you know, give us things and, you know. So, so if the people in the spiritual world are already saved, there's no necessity for them to desire to become saved. So what do they desire? They just become, you know, uh, emotionless, you know, robots. Uh, <laughs> did they just become, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what what do they desire? I'm laughing because I, I remember years ago they used to refer to the devotees as robots. <laughs> we had become robots of <laughs> of Prabhupada. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right? Are we just a bunch of emotionless robots? Is that what ends up in the spiritual world? <laughs> okay, I'm laughing too much. Let me get serious again. So, yeah, um, people in the spiritual world, they don't have any selfish desires. So what do they desire? They just desire to love and serve Krishna. They want to sing Krishna's glories. They want to uh, dress Krishna, they want to feed Krishna, they want to dance for Krishna, have festivals for Krishna, bring Krishna's best friends to see him, make flower garlands for Krishna, they make jewelry for Krishna, they make milk sweets for Krishna, and on and on and go, right? They take Krishna they on the wonderful adventures with you know, there's uh, there's so many beautiful pastimes of Krishna with the devotees, Lord Chaitanya with the devotees, the devotees with the devotees, or even like we see here, Lord Shiva and Parvati with the uh, with um, Mark and Rishi. You know, they're appreciating his uh, deep meditation on the Supreme Lord and his freedom from um, distractions of the mind and senses, and and his, you know entering into a, a trance-like state of love and devotion. So that's very beautiful. Lord Chaitanya actually came to uh, teach these, this, this, this whole process of pure loving devotion, and not just um, um, a feeling, but a service, active, emotional, loving service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, Krishna is so kind, you know, even though in Bhagavad Gita he instructed us to surrender to him. Banded all types of religious activity, 
right, and simply surrender to Krishna, and He promised to protect us, right, from all sinful reactions and free us from all stress and fear. Once a um, a guest in Australia asked Prabhupada, you know, how long does it take to actually come to that state? And Prabhupada said, one moment, one moment. In one moment, we can surrender to Krishna and be completely under Krishna's shelter. So... um <laughs> In our in this description, this beautiful description today, you know, there's this great, um, you know, the qualities of Lord Shiva and Parvati are also being highlighted here in their appreciation of devotees and devotional service. The, um, here it's described by the goddess Parvati that Markandeya is as calm as the waters of the ocean when the wind has ceased and the fish remain still. Therefore, my Lord, since you bestow perfection on the performers of austerity, please award this sage the perfection that he is that is obviously due to him. My prophet said, first deserve, then desire. So Lord, Sh- Lord Shiva replied, surely the saintly Brahmana does not desire any benediction, not even liberation itself. Here you have it. Not even liberation itself. How do you say that in Sanskrit? Not even liberation itself. Here it is. It's um. It's this. It goes moksham, right? Like mok, like uh, like moksha, moksham, api, utabaktim. His devotional service had reached a stage where he was no longer interested even in liberation. He simply wanted to perform loving, selfless service to Krishna. He had no desire for anything for his own personal benefit. Or So it says here, Lord Shiva replied, Surely this saintly Brahmana does not desire any benediction, not even liberation itself, for he has attained pure devotional service unto the inexhaustible personality of Godhead. So in this verse, the words, Naived um, Chat, indicate that Markandeya Rishi was uninterested in any reward available on any planet within the universe, nor did he want liberation, for he had achieved the Supreme Lord himself. Still, my dear Bhavani, let us talk with this saintly personality. After all, association with saintly persons is man's greatest achievement. So there was no uh, consideration that, oh, we are demigods and he's a human being. Uh, completely off the bodily platform here, Lord Shiva is saying that to hear the, uh, the uh, to gain the association of a saintly person is the perfection of life, no matter who you may be. It's very beautiful. So Sri Markandeya saw Lord Shiva suddenly appear within his heart. Lord Shiva's golden hair resembled lightning. And he had three eyes, ten arms, and a tall body that shone like the rising sun. He wore a tiger's skin, and he carried a trident, a bow, arrows, a sword, and a shield, along with prayer beads, a 
Damaru drum, a skull and an axe. Astonished, the sage came out of his trance and thought, who is this and where has he come from? Opening his eyes, the sage saw Lord Rudra, the spiritual master of the three worlds, together with Uma and Rudra's followers. Mark and Dea then offered his respectful obeisances by bowing his head. So when Mark and Dea Rishi saw Lord Shiva and Uma within his heart, immediately he became aware of their presence before him. So, um, and he also, he became aware of his own individual existence, right? It's described that the personality of Godhead or his representatives, when they come present, when they appear before us, it's just like the sun rising in the, in the morning, that darkness is automatically dissipated. And along with seeing the rise of the sun, one can see oneself. So during his trance, um, he was simply, he had been absorbed in awareness of the Supreme Lord and he had actually forgotten himself. So this is one of the opportunities of performing deity worship that a person can become so absorbed in the service of the Lord, the darshan of the Lord, the aratiks of the Lord, the dressing of the Lord, that one just forgets about, you know, their um, so-called... Desire to become happy within this material world. That's very extraordinary, but if one can achieve that state, they'll become free from all anxiety. Vaikuntha. So Markandeya, he worships Lord Shiva. He worshiped the Lord Shiva along with Uma and Shiva's associates. Which is very nice. You see, sometimes you might see where a guru or a great person is, uh, is, is worshipped or the personality of Godhead is worshipped in the temple. But his associates and his devotees are neglected. <laughs> oh, Krishna Chaitanya. You see? <laughs> but you can see the example of, of a, somebody whose heart has become soft by the practice of devotional service. Not only do they worship the, the Supreme Lord, but they're worshiping the Lord's representatives, his associates, the devotees. Everyone is being respected, appreciated, and, and loved. And that's really, you know, the healthy, our, our, our healthy state of consciousness. Prahlad Maharaj points out, as soon as we begin to think about friends and enemies, immediately we become, become subjected to the onslaught of material nature. Yeah, it's interesting in the beginning. <laughs> it's really interesting. In the beginning of the Bhagavatam, right, we see... Um, Religion personified Dharma had taken the form of a bull, and uh, Mother Earth, she had taken the form of a uh, Mother Bhumi as a cow, right? So we see, um, we see. Well, in this in this example, actually, Mother Bhumi is not present. So we have the cow. I mean, sorry, the bull, uh, which is religion personified Dharma, and then we have the um, personality of Kali Yuga. Kali, who is 
he's dressed, he's a sudra, dressed, he's a degraded man dressed as a king. And we have um, Parikshit Maharaj, who's emperor of the world and who's the um, grandson of the Pandavas and, um, you know, a religious, great religious personality, a Raja Rishi, a great religious king. And the Kali had cut off, he had cut, he was carrying a sword, he had cut off three legs of the bull. And um, the legs of the bull, they represented the four pillars of religion, right? Truthfulness, austerity, cleanliness, and what's the fourth one? And mercy, thank you. So three of the legs had been cut off and only one leg remained and it was shaking. That leg represents truthfulness. So in this age of Kali, all of our religious qualities are pretty much sheared from us and um, on account of our own, you know, uh, ignorance and and uh, misidentification with the body as well as uh, sinful activity. And truthfulness is pretty much the only quality that's present in Kali Yuga, and it's very shaky. So, Parikshit Maharaj immediately asks the bull Dharma if Kali, who's standing there, right, with the three cut-off legs and the and the sword, bloody sword, if he's responsible for the legs, of his legs being cut off, because Maharaj Parikshit immediately, he wants to kill Kali for this sinful activity and rectify the situation. But the bull Dharma doesn't blame Kali. The bull Dharma said, no, he's just a, 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 an instrument in the hands of providence, in the hands of, you know, the laws that govern, you know, every living being. And, and he's giving me the re, my rightful reactions. So it's actually me. It's uh, Dharma is the bull. He's blaming his suffering upon himself, and and this is brought up in the beginning of the Bhagavatam to show us that, um, you know, not to blame others, but to actually look introspectively within ourselves and try to understand ourselves and and understand how to overcome our weaknesses to. Recognize our spiritual strengths and to use those strengths to, to overcome those weaknesses. Not to blame others for our suffering, even though externally it may seem to be, uh, you know, rightful. So here in the same way, we're seeing that uh, Lord Rudra, um, he's being worshipped by Markandeya along with his wife, and Lord Shiva's associates and the devotees, and he was worshiping the Supreme Lord, he offers them words of welcome. He gives them sitting places, water for washing their feet, scented drinking water, fragrant oils, flower garlands, and artique lamps. So the Vedic culture is so nice that a guest is worshipped and um, relieved of, of, of the you know, difficulties of travel, fed, like I remember on the Brajmandal Parikram, I've told this story before. Um, you know, my friends and I, we would have fun just begging from the local, you know, Brijabasis, right? It's called Madukari, right? Like a bee goes from flower to flower. So we'd be in some of the villages 
And uh, they have simple houses, you know, just even like a mud house, bricks that are held together with mud and, you know, maybe two, three rooms in the house, a small, like, um, uh, uh, I want to call it like a bucket that's covered with mud and they burn small pieces of uh, charcoalized wood inside there and they cook on that while they sit on the floor. And just very, very simple homes and lifestyles. And we'd come to them and uh, in a village, say there would be maybe 20 houses, 30 houses, you know, on each side of the street, 10, 15, 20 houses. But so you'd say, Bajaji, Bajaji, you could see the people inside their homes, right? They didn't have screens and windows and wood coverings or anything like that. Just a simple open mud house. Call out, Bajaji, Bajaji. Marukari, Marukari. And the women will come out on their front porch. They have these small porches. They come out and then they call all the other women in the village. <laughs> and all the women, just because they don't even need a phone, they can just call out, hey, you guys, come here and look who's at my front porch, you know, asking for something to eat. And all the women come out of their homes. Everybody's laughing and waving at us and, you know, even coming over looking at our clothes and stuff. And they're feeding us like we're their own kids. They're feeding us these um, uh, hand-ground, um, whole-grain, you know, rotis, the flatbreads with with this amazing, like, fresh green mango pickle. And, you know, or they give you some kind of vegetable dish that's like vine-ripened, you know, real, really tasty and spicy and, you know, and they're feeding you, like, you know, with so much love and affection. You know, and you just sh- you're just basically showing up on their fr- at their front porch, at their front door. That's Vedic culture. You know, even though we only see remnants of it here and there, but, but when you do see even the remnants of it, it just warms your heart. You know, like I could easily see those women as my mother and protect them and, you know, do things for them if they ask me to. It's like, a, it's just a natural, it just creates that natural bond of love and appreciation, you know. So this can be achieved by these types of simple things like offering a place to seat, something to drink, something to eat, or in a more, you know, formal setting where even an arctic or foot bathing is done. But at least for one another, you know, it can be really something really nice just to exchange a little love now and then. <laughs> oh, you are getting invited to breakfast. Kumkumangi made a big breakfast for everybody. Everybody out there, you're all invited to breakfast. Kumkumangi, my dear wife, she cooked very nice this morning for Shushira Kalachanji. So if you're out there and you're wondering who cooked breakfast, it was Kumkumangi. And she's waiting for you to come over. Mark and Dea said, Almighty Lord, what can I possibly do for you who are fully satisfied by your own ecstasy? Indeed, by your mercy, you satisfy this entire world. Now, I think this is a beautiful question by a devotee. You know, like, what does Krishna really need? And, I mean, what qualification do we have to actually serve Krishna? Or in this case, Lord Shiva, who is, you know, an incarnation of the Lord. And um, so this is a really interesting topic. I'm going to leave this topic 
for uh, our class tomorrow. And uh, I'll stop here. I'll ask if there's any questions or comments. Thanks so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak. I was preparing and learning verses and everything, but it's kind of just inspiring just to read the verses and just uh, hear this beautiful pastime. Yeah, thank you, actually. Um, I was thinking, it was interesting, because it describes Markandeya Rishi in full meditation. But when these great personalities came, Shiva, Uma, their associates, he immediately broke his trance and was able to render service. Uh Um, And when you juxtaposition that to the story of the first canto, where Maharaj Pariksit just needed some water, Mm. and he went into the hermitage of a sage, and the sage didn't break his meditation. And therefore the advent of Kali Yuga becomes manifest through the um, envious reaction of the, the sage's son. I mean, the sage himself thought nothing of it, and then literally felt some remorse. Why didn't I? Why wasn't I able to serve this great king? You know, this this Rajarishi. Because mm. generally, we see even if you're chanting your japa, and I do this a lot. Not that I'm some advanced person, but I, I have my eyes closed mm. um, to get less distractions. Not today. Today I closed my eyes and went to sleep. But <laughs> one of those days. But um, I can always feel when someone's coming over. So if, if we're truly in a spiritual consciousness, we don't leave the world per se, but we become hyper aware of our surroundings mm-hmm. in, in the sense that when there's an opportunity for a spiritual activity like Vaishnava Seva, automatically you, you, you're awakened to that opportunity as opposed to being just closed off to the whole material world mm. yeah there's a funny uh there's a funny antidote you know years ago there was this um uh yogi uh, i'm just gonna say he was a yogi so he was coming here to the temple and he had taken a vow of monam right where they don't speak so he used to sit here in front of radha kalachanji and look at the deities and um devotees would he came like day after day he'd sit here like two three hours you know, and then he would go. So um, the devotees kept trying to talk to him, but he would never say anything. He would just sit here. So one of the brahmacharis, you know, it got kind of like started getting really bad. Started getting to turn, you know, into a bad thing. Like he would just come in here, ignore everybody, sit down, hear from the deities, never talk to anyone. Maybe get a plate of prasadam and just go. So one day, one of the brahmacharis, he was here and he was chanting. And again, you know, the, every, the devotees would try to talk to him. You know, he would sit here like all day. So suddenly, the brahmachari came up and whispered something in his ear. And um, the yogi suddenly said, no, no, anything but that. Anything but that. And then he, he started talking and everything. And, uh, you know, so we all thought, oh, man, how did he get him to speak? So we asked him, what happened? What did you tell him? He said, I told him if he keeps acting like this and doesn't talk to anybody, we're going to make you the temple president. Oops.
president talks to people? <laughs> but, you know, we have different examples. Harry Harwell. Oh, that cute girl is here again. So then, um, but we have different examples in the scripture for different situations. In other words, the trance and the arrangement that was done in case of Marish Prikshit being cursed. And this example of Margane Rishi and Lord Shiva and Uma, the goddess Uma, um, are teaching us different things. In other words, the state of trance that the sage was in, who, um, you know, he was so completely absorbed on the spiritual platform, he was entering into the spiritual world. And trance ultimately is meant for that. Everything that we're doing is meant to gradually awaken our spiritual identity and our relationship with Krishna to the point where we are dealing with Krishna just like we're sitting here and talking to one another right now. The deity worship, the chanting of Japa, the reading of the scriptures, learning, and then developing our emotional love through uh, of Krishna through the Bhagavatam, the Chaitanya Charitamrita, especially. All of this is meant to, like, you know, free our consciousness from sense enjoyment, from, you know, the distractions of the mind and the senses and sense objects, and to keep our consciousness focused on Krishna. Initially, it's a discipline called sadhana, but gradually we start to really appreciate and love Krishna. Krishna is always loving us much more than we can understand. But if we, you know, develop an appreciation for that love and develop our natural inclination to reciprocate with Krishna's love, that gradually manifests to the point where Krishna reveals himself. First, first through the Vaya media of the heart, and then gradually we even enter the spiritual world. Prabhupada used to say, it looks like I'm sitting here on the Vyasa sun in Los Angeles, but actually I'm in Goloka Vrindavan. My Guru Maharaj asked Prabhupada, you know, why do you read your own books? And he said, because Krishna sat next to me and dictated all this, and I just wrote it down. So these advanced, you know, states of awareness that we're reading about, I mean, this is extraordinary. So the fact that the sage, he didn't even break consciousness when the King Prikshan entered his house was that, you know, he was so completely absorbed in spiritual life and in, 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 on the spiritual platform that he had totally lost contact with the material world. Like, uh, it's called, it's called, it's called Nirkalpa Samadhi. Lord Chaitanya exhibited this when he went um, to the temple of Jagannath in Orissa and he fell unconscious on the floor and he entered into such a deep state of Samadhi that he had literally, his heartbeat had stopped and even his breathing had stopped. And uh, they were going to remember the, so, the, the, the guards at the temple were going to beat him and throw him in the street because they thought, you know, he was just sleeping in the temple. Like if somebody came in out of the street, right, and just sleeping in here, you know, unconscious, like on the bed, you think, oh, my, the guy's probably stoned or, you know, just really down on his luck. He's exhausted, you know, he's uh, hung over or something. Man, let's get him out of here, you know, kind of thing. But... Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, you could recognize that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was just, wasn't just an ordinary street, you know, mendicant or, or beggar, but that he was a exalted sannyasi, and when he checked him, he saw all the symptoms of, ex, of ecstasy within his body, and then he held a Q-tip, a, a, a fine piece of cotton up to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's nostrils, and he could see there was just a slight amount of breath, but basically his heartbeat had stopped, and all of his external 
um, qualities, you know, of consciousness had been withdrawn. And then it took, they moved, they carried Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from the temple, you know, to Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya's house, at least like he was a dead body. He's totally unconscious, totally like his his joints and everything were all elongated and his whole body was just seemingly, you know, in a state of complete, you know, disarray. And then it took the devotees coming there and having a kirtan and chanting and everything to bring him back to his external consciousness. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that the Lord Chaitanya had three states of consciousness. He had external consciousness, he had a mix, he had internal consciousness, and then he had a semi external and semi-internal consciousness joined together. So there's different examples of that in our Krishna consciousness. So, you know, to just to get back to your question, the point on your question about these different states of consciousness and the results, see, what's beautifully described here is that Lord Shiva, he was so inclined to Markandeya Rishi Seeing his pure devotion and his state of trance was just so, you know, exalted. Worshipping the Lord and within his heart. Lord Shiva not just came to him externally, but Lord Shiva entered into the spiritual platform and appeared before the sage in his heart on the spiritual platform. And then at that point, Markandeya Rishi could he was actually perceiving Lord Shiva in his spiritual identity, and then he realized that he was actually present before him, and then that invoked his external consciousness, and Lord Shiva was present externally as well. So we have many examples of this too in our tradition, but this is a very advanced stage of our yoga system and bhakti yoga like that. But regardless, um, whether, you know, the situation where the sage's son became offended and cursed Parikshit Maharaj, or in this case, uh, Markandeya Rishi showing his love and devotion to the Supreme Lord and the devotees, both situations are under the protection and guidance of Krishna to show particular, you know, um, points to, to, to help us to advance in spiritual life. All of this is meant ultimately to help us to love and, and serve and return to Krishna. So there's different examples to indicate, you know, the benefits. But both of these things are guided. Oh, watch. But both of these things are, are being directed and guided by Krishna himself for, uh, you know, a particular reason. Like that. So it's not, you almost can't really, um, you can, you know, there are similarities, but it's kind of like, um, you know, things that are successful here in Dallas, uh, let's say, let's give an, I'll just throw an example at you. Like, let's just say, like, we get a tremendous amount of support from the Indian community here, right? So you might say, okay, this should be a system. You know, for the whole movement, right? Why not, man? It's successful in Dallas. But if you go to somewhere like Sweden, where there is no Indian community, what do you do? Yeah, you might have one or two, but I'm not saying it's not like a huge congregation. But what, see, so what do you do? So there are many examples given to us to facilitate our devotion and our practice of devotional service in 
any given situation. Yet we can learn and benefit from everything, you know, from every particular example that's given to us. But some examples may apply to us and some of them may not. You know, another uh, beautiful story, and I'll end here, is with uh, Srila Rupa Goswami, who had been in Samadhi, and he was laughing at a pastime of Radha and Krishna, and this old man who was a devotee walked past, and he thought that Rupa Goswami was laughing at him, and he became insulted. So, when immediately, when that devotee, that old man became offended, Rupa Goswami's ability to see Radha and Krishna's pastimes broke. And he knew something was wrong. So he went to his brother, Sanatana Goswami, and asked him. And he said, oh, you must have offended some devotee. So even unknowingly, sometimes we commit offenses, we offend each other, we do things that, you know, people don't understand, right? Even, you know, outside people. And um, so what to do? So Sanatana Goswami said, you, have a, you arrange for a big feast, and invite everybody, just open invitation. He said, anybody who doesn't come, you know you've offended him. Okay, so my, I'm going to end the class right here on, the, on, this, on this happy note. You know, like um, if, if you haven't learned yet, you know, it's kind of, um, it's nice, you know, to, when the devotees cook for one another. But I'm Italian and I'm very fond of pizza, which I've no, I'm not calling it pizza anymore. Um, I'm, I've referred, I'm referring to it as the holy pie. <laughs> but if you, if you, <laughs> if you really, you know, are interested in, in, in correcting, you know, circumstances which may, might have occurred beyond your control, um, yeah, it's always nice, you know, just make a few pizzas and, Invite a few devotees over, and I think everything will be right in the world again for you. Thank you very much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Hare Krishna.